American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. So while we're experiencing this wage stagnation, this rising inequality, at the same time in American consumer culture, we see an explosion of interest in so-called luxury goods. Handbags, for instance. Now take this classic Hermes bag, now known as the Kelly bag because Grace Kelly was seen wearing it around in the 1950s. It has almost no decoration to it. It's very clean, sleek, elegant. It has no logo. Contrast that with instead this coach bag. And this coach bag has logos all over it. And in fact, what we see in the 1980s and 90s is the rise of incredibly logoed luxury goods for the very first time. Something that is expensive, but also intended for more middle class, indeed even for working class audiences. Something that we also gives rise to a trade in so-called fake bags, fake luxury goods. So what's at stake here? What does it mean to have logos in the 1980s and 90s? By the 1980s, expectations of consumption were wildly out of proportion with actual needs. One third of the Americans who earned over $150,000 a year in today's dollars felt like they couldn't afford the barest necessities. This is outrageous. The, one of the wealthiest economies in the world, the wealthiest people of that wealthiest economy felt like they couldn't afford what they needed to get by. During this period, consumer spending went up per capita almost 30%. And there was a ratcheting up of standards, house sizes, cars, everything. And so there emerges a dual economy in which people begin to spend a lot of money on luxury goods and spend everything else at discounters like Kmart and Walmart. And so in the middle, there is a squeeze. And so these older mass-oriented stores that focused on the middle class begin to be squeezed out at the top and at the bottom. What is truly interesting about these new luxury goods is that they are not unique. They are in fact mass-produced, but mass-produced with all the patina, all the splendor of older bespoke manufacturing. Consider Louis Vuitton. Perhaps today is one of today's most recognizable fashion icons known for his luggage. He began life, the real Louis Vuitton, began life as a farmer's son in eastern France. He walked his way to Paris to pick up the apprentice trade of how to make high-end luggage. Now, before the jet age, it was very difficult and expensive to travel, so you could produce very expensive, perfect luggage. But then came the 1960s and the jet age and ushered in a whole new era of travel. Everything changed. Louis Vuitton retired and his son George took over the business. He created a logo for the company, LV, to symbolize the new change in the firm from something that made unique pieces to mass-produced pieces with a unique name. George Vuitton realized things were changing in the 1960s when a fellow fashion designer, Yves Saint Laurent, introduced his first ready-to-wear line something that was produced not for individual clients, but for stores and retails, produced at large. After that, quote, luxury was no longer simply about creating the finest things that money could buy. It was about making money, lots of money. And that's what made it possible to have this new kind of luxury, the creation of a new class of elites 
that were global in perspective, buying French luggage in America or Japan, but also wanting to display this wealth in a new, ostentatious fashion. So returning to New York, innovations were not only happening downtown on Wall Street, but also uptown in Harlem, especially in terms of fashion, through the work of one tailor named Dapper Dan. Dapper Dan, named for the old pomade product, was a store owner and tailor in Harlem who, like disco and hip-hop DJs, took the cultural products of others, like Louis Vuitton, and remixed them. Although, in his case, it was a remixing of fashion, not of sound. Dapper Dan would go downtown and get high-end designer luxury items, like that of Louis Vuitton, and then cut out the logos, taking strips of leather and sewing them into custom-made jackets uptown. This produced an explosion of new kinds of clothes that became the basis for what today we consider to be hip-hop clothing. Now, what's ironic is that many of the people who tried to enforce so-called trademarks on Dapper Dan, trying to shut down his operation, saw these as fakes because they were not real Louis Vuitton or other kinds of brands. Ironically, these were in fact more bespoke, more luxury, more in line what Louis Vuitton, when he came to Paris, was trying to create than any of those stores downtown. This question of real and fake, not quality, is at the center of thinking about luxury in the late 20th century. And it's most exemplified by the way in which people buy real and fake coach handbags today. Coach. Founded in 1941 as a small leather workshop, it produced private label wallets and belts for department stores. It was nothing special, it didn't make a lot of money, but it did get by. In 1946, after the war, Miles Kahn joins up with Coach. He's the son of one of the original investors. And he begins to make handbags out of leather. And, but what's special about his handbags is he conditions them, just like an old baseball glove. So they break in soft, and they have a special, unique look. His wife Lillian suggests that he calls the bags Coach, after the fact they're baseball gloves made into bags. Now today, of course, we associate coach with a more aristocratic look of a horse and coach, but this isn't where the name comes from originally. These bags are handmade. They're high quality, they're good. You can see the unique smoothing of the leather in each bag. And they are very, very, very expensive. And by the 1980s, they are selling $20 million a year in these bags. And he retires, selling the company, oddly enough, to Sarah Lee. Yes, that's Sara Lee, the Sara Lee that makes cheesecakes. What could these two companies possibly have in common? And the answer is, according to Sara Lee executives, is that they are both forms of affordable luxury, a way to indulge oneself, to splurge, to reward oneself from a hard day's labor. Over the next 20 years, Coach develops an ident brand identity as affordable luxury. And in fact, the name Coach matters more than the hand-told uniqueness. That logo itself is valuable and can be divorced from any notion of quality, which in fact it no longer represents. It's valuable because it is a unique brand, even though it's a mass-produced bag. And the brand is what is unique. The irony of all of this is that the luxury brands that we associate with the 80s, like Coach or Brooks Brothers or other kinds of stores begin to have massive outlet stores that are separate from the post-war malls. These outlet stores 
begin as a place to sell the leftover remainders of their production. But by the 80s and 90s, they are producing not the original kinds of goods, which are of a higher quality, but in fact, knockoffs. Knockoffs that they sell themselves for lower cost versions of Brooks Brothers suits, lower cost versions of coach bags. These are different products, in fact, and they're labeled so in the labels inside the bags than the ones available in higher price stores in the cities. And so this question of real and fake comes back to really questions of quality and brand, questions of how do I sell things at a high margin to people who perhaps can't afford it. Hermes doesn't sell lower price bags. A Kelly bag still costs the same as a car. But what you're buying with that is something without a logo, something that has its own quality that signifies itself. With Coach, you have to rely on the symbol. You have to rely on a logo to know whether or not it is real or not. And it's this play between real and fake that really defines the luxury consumer economy of the late 20th century. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University. Thank you.